0: You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. We hope that this podcast is a helpful resource in your daily walk with Christ. Now, here's today's sermon. Let's go to Job chapter 32. Job chapter 32. Uh, So, if you remember the last few weeks, the last few chapters... Uh, Job was defending his own righteousness. Now, a question for you, was he wrong to do this? Was he wrong to defend his own righteousness?
1: And I don't mean
0: righteousness, and he didn't mean righteousness like sinlessness, but the fact that he was living a righteous life, the fact that he was living a godly life. Is it wrong for him to defend himself? It was the truth, right? Um, no, I don't. I don't think it was wrong. Uh, but I also do think it depends on his motive. Um, I've heard people say, you, you know, don't defend yourself, let God do that. Well, God gave you a mouth and he gave you intellect. And I think it's okay to say, I'm not guilty of that. I didn't do that. Um, so but I, think, I think there's something to be said of motive. So should we just let false accusations be thrown at us and never deny those things? Well, of course not. But if Job's motivation was pride in his own good works. I mean, he told us a lot of his own good works, didn't he? He told us how he helped the poor and how he did a whole bunch of things. Um, but if, it, if his motivation is pride, then he would be wrong. If Job is claiming that he was righteous and not deserving of the turmoil he had been through, then he would be what? He'd be calling God unfair, right? I don't deserve this. I shouldn't have to go through this. And I think, and you may not like this, but I think there was a little bit of that going on. You know, sometimes we want to put everybody in this box like this guy's all right and this guy's all wrong. But as we've been talking about, um, the, some of the doctrine or some of the theology of, of the friends was actually pretty good theology. It just was misapplied. So we can't look at them. As, and, and they were they were friends, right? At the beginning especially. They, they sat with Job. They mourned with Job for seven days in ashes and sackcloth. And, and so we can't look at the three of them and go, they're all bad. But we also have to be careful looking at Job and saying, he's all good. And we're going to see a little bit of that tonight. And and I think the character tonight that we're bringing into the story is, he's tough, right? He's tough to figure out. You'll see. Now, the arguments of Job's friends led to a false dichotomy that either Job was right or God was right. Right? Isn't that basically what the friends were saying? Job, you, you think God's wrong. We're telling you you're wrong. But you can't both be right. Well, they could both be right. And they were both right. God was just in what he did, but Job was also right in the fact that he didn't do anything to deserve that. So either way, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar stopped responding. Look at chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men ceased to answer Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Okay, So they stopped answering him. Why? Because they thought he was righteous? No, because they knew he was righteous in his own eyes. They knew that there was no convincing him otherwise. And so he, he made it clear that he was innocent, and they're not going to change his mind. So they stopped. Now, if you, if you remember, there was three rounds of accusations, right? Um, there was um, Bildad, Zophar, and uh, um, Eliphaz. Thank you. Uh, Eliphaz was first. Bildad went second. Zophar went third. Eliphaz went fourth. Bildad went fifth. Zophar went sixth. Uh, Eliphaz went seventh, but it got really short. It got shorter. Bildad had a very short one. And Zophar was like, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Right? So they kind of waned in, in their passion against Job. Uh, but it says here that they, that they stopped responding. They didn't answer Job. <laughs> Job had just spent a couple chapters defending himself. And they did not answer because he was righteous in his own eyes. Now, so look at verse 2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled, because he justified himself rather than God. So here comes this man named Elihu. We don't know much about him other than what this verse says, and what we can derive from his speeches. But any claims that Elihu was fictional... Are immediately washed away with the fact that we're given his genealogy. Um, Barakel, he's the son of Barakel. Well, maybe Elihu was a was a, a a spirit being in man's form. No, he was the son of Barakel, the Buzite, the kindred of Ram. Um, so we also we're also going to find out here in just a couple of verses that he was a younger man. ...than the other four. He was younger than Job and Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. And uh, Elihu here, we find that he's angry. And he's angry, and you might go, okay, he's going to be angry with the three guys. But no, the Bible says here he's angry with Job. Now we're going to find out he's angry with them too. But he has has a righteous anger, it seems here, with Job because he had listened to Job's rants against the accusation of the three friends... But he noticed, in his opinion, Job was not was focused on his own righteousness instead of on justifying God, instead of on the righteousness of God. In other words, Job was, was telling him why he didn't deserve it instead of maybe saying, whatever God's plan is, that's what I'm okay with. And and so as we go through this, this man, there, there's six chapters dedicated to Eliud, six chapters of his words, and we're gonna, I'm, I'm prepared to cover three tonight. We'll see if we get through them, all three, all three of them. I have struggled back and forth. Is Elihu a good man, a good counselor, or is he a bad counselor? And I've gone back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes, you know, I would read commentaries on on from men who are well-respected conservative theologians, and I, I read what they say. And one man says he's bad counsel. Another one says he's good counsel. And I'm like, I'm and I'm going through. It. And so, you know, this is. First of all, never just take a commentary and say that's what the truth is. Okay, you have to you have to study it and pray about it and and lead into your own uh, your own decision, your own understanding. But I think he's a really tough one to figure out. And here's what I came up with. Guess what? He's probably got some right. He's probably got some wrong. You know, we we talk about the we went through the patriarchs, and with the patriarchs it was you know, sometimes those guys did some great things and sometimes they did some bad things. And you're like, is this the same guy? We don't have to look at someone and say, everything he did was good and everything he did was bad. There can be a mixture, and they're just like in all of us. Sometimes we do good things, sometimes we do bad things. So, I want to keep that in mind as we go through this, because I'm kind of pulled in both directions at different times. Like, is Elihu really who, right here or is he wrong here? And I think by the end of the six chapters... We're going to find a few things. In fact, we're going to find um, in uh, after this that God is going to rebuke. I think it's chapter forty or forty-one. God is going to rebuke the other three, but he never rebukes Elihu. Uh, Elihu never gets a rebuke from God, but yet Elihu rebukes Job pretty harshly. And so let's let's look at this. Verse three. Also against his free his three friends was his wrath kindled because they had found no answer, and yet. They had condemned Job. So he's upset with these three friends, probably for the same reason I get upset with him and you probably got upset with him. Then the fact that they keep accusing Job of something when they had no evidence of it. They were just looking at the outcome, saying, well, you're in pain, so you must have done something wrong. So Elihu's anger was not just with Job, it was also with the three friends. Uh, They had no evidence Job was corrupt, but they condemned Job anyway, didn't they? Well, you've got to get right with God. You've got to repent because there's no way you would go through this if you hadn't done something wrong. Verse 4. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. So I'm taking it slow here just to introduce who Elihu is. We're going to move a little faster through these next couple chapters because uh, we're going to find that Elihu is long-winded. Uh, he loved to hear him talk, himself talk it seems like. okay, uh, But before we move quick, let's look at him. The he, Bible says there that he had waited till Job had spoken. So he sat there, he listened to the dialogue. We can tell from some of the things that he said that, um, that he had also heard the, the, the three friends, at least part of it. We don't know when he came on the scene. We don't know how long he's listening, but he's heard a substantial part of the arguments or the discussions back and forth. So out of respect for his elders, he kept silent until the elder men had their chances to speak. Um, and this is wisdom. Tomorrow morning I'm preaching chapel at Rochester Hills Christian School, and I'm actually going to not preach what I'm preaching tonight, but I'm, I'm talking about Elihu, and I'm going to go over with them some of the wisdom we see in him, but yet also some of the failure we see in him, some of the uh, respect that he shows. One of the things that he shows respect in is that he says, hey, I'm going to let these elder men speak first. There's wisdom in that, isn't there? And letting, letting those that are older, that have uh, just out of respect, even if they're wrong, giving them the respect uh, to listen to them. Also, in tense uh, situations, we, we ought to learn, especially when we're young, learn to speak only when necessary and after you have a full understanding, which it seems to be that's what's happened with Elihu. He has listened. He has given them a chance to speak. He has sat back, it's, it's kind of like, you remember uh, when the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, um, they were in the early church, it wasn't the 12, but uh, the, the leaders, the elders in the early church in the book of Acts, they're all like, they're discussing something, discussing a, a tough topic. And then the Bible basically says, then James stood up amongst the brethren and he calls them out and he says, here's what we should do. Uh, and James wasn't the, he wasn't a, then uh, we're talking about James, the half-brother of Christ, not James the apostle of course, James' half-brother Christ called an apostle later. But um, he hadn't been an apostle as long, but he sat back, he listened, and then when the time came, he spoke. Now, we don't know the age gap here, but it does seem to be at least substantial enough. Like you might say, Brian and I are in the same age bracket, but I'm like three or four years older than Brian, right? And then uh, I'm a little older than Brian. Scott's a little older than me. But uh, if you compared us to each other, when I say a little, it's a little bit more than the three or four years. But... Um, <laughs> But you might say, hey, you know, work in Joshua, we're six months apart, right? So you might say, hey, we're all kind of in the same thing. But then if I compare my dad to that, you're going, okay, that's a, that's a little bit more substantial, right? So obviously these men are all not the same age, but uh, Elihu is substantially, at least as some, some uh, substantial number of years younger than the other men. Now, when Elihu saw that there was no answer, verse 5, when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, then his wrath was kindled. All right, so they, he hears Job. He lets Job speak. He's heard them all talk. He lets Job speak. It gets quiet. It's, it seems to hear. It seems to be here. Like it gets quiet, and uh, these three men they just they just stop talking. And so now Elihu's like, all right, now I'm ticked. All right, verse six. Then Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzite answered and said, I am young, and you are very old. That's that's the great way to start that conversation right there, right? I'm young, and you're a bunch of old people, so let me just tell you how this is going to be. And here's what he says. Wherefore, I was afraid, and durst not shew you my opinion. He says that because of the age difference, because of the wisdom, because of the gap, I didn't feel comfortable speaking. But listen, now it's gone too far. And And I don't think by calling them old, I don't think he was... Being disrespectful, I think maybe, and I, of course we're not, we're talking cultural and translation and you know what he said in, in in his in Hebrew and then translates English and our cultural differences. It might not be as bad as it sounds, right? Um, but I think he what he what he's doing is he's speaking boldly. Is it okay for young people to speak boldly to older people? I think it is. If they're speaking respectfully and boldly. Um, and and I, I he says, listen, I don't I don't I not want to give you my opinion, but it's it's at the point now where it's time. Look at verse 7. I said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. He's he's saying, I, I think that you're because of your age, you ought to be the ones giving the wisdom. But verse eight, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. That's good, isn't it? Great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Age doesn't give you wisdom. Experience can give you wisdom. But simply age doesn't make someone wise. Uh, great men, powerful men, men that have, well, men that have a position, they're not that doesn't make them wise. So Eli, Elihu affirmed what he had kept silent until now. He says, They should speak, multitude of years should speak. Um, but he says, Even though they're older, all men have a spirit. And in other words, he said, and he's not talking about the Holy Spirit here, because not all men have the Holy Spirit back then. In fact, not all men have the Holy Spirit now. Those, uh, in the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come into those who have been saved. In the Old Testament we often find the Holy Spirit coming on someone. So he's not talking about the Holy Spirit, but he says that they have a spirit in them. And, and I think maybe what that and he says it's from God right So you might say, well that's the spirit that's the spirit of God. Um, uh, let me find here verse number eight yeah but there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. So uh, do we have what, what could we say is a spirit in us that's given by God? It's our conscience. That's what I think he's talking about, okay? So um, he's saying all of us have that in us. And so it gives us the ability to generally discern right from wrong. Well, that isn't until that conscience is seared with a hot iron, right? And so I, th- I think that's what he's saying here is that, uh, that there is an inspiration of God. He giveth men understanding. We know what's right and wrong. Now, in our culture, many people have been seared with hot iron, meaning... That that conscience is no longer sensitive anymore, like it's supposed to be. We were made to have this conscience. Now I do believe that conscience can be can be sensitized again, okay? By getting rid of, you know, it's like um, Micah plays the guitar, and and when he 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 moves his fingers all over, he's so good at that thing, um, but his fingers are calloused from playing the guitar. Um, I used to sit in my office uh, back when I was at Emmanuel... I would sit at my office and I would play the guitar and I got my fingers a little bit calloused and I started to feel those calluses. But then I stopped using, I stopped playing it and now my fingers don't have those same calluses because, uh, I th- and I think that's how our conscience works. I think we can callous our conscience, but we can also have it resensitized by by protecting it and not not uh, exposing it to those harsh environments y- anymore. Now. Seemingly in a rebuke or in justification for speaking up. Elihu says that social status and age do not automatically bring wisdom (coughs) or judgment. Uh, G.K. Chesterton wrote this. I'm going to share this with the kids tomorrow. I believe that really what really happens in history is this. The old man is always wrong and the young people are always wrong about what is wrong with him. Um, The practical form it takes is this. That while the old man may stand by some stupid custom, the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. Okay, so I'm not using a bad word there. It was G.K. Chesterton. Okay, um, it's, it's stupid. He, so in other words, um, he says the, the young man looks at the old man and what he's doing and goes, well, that's stupid. Why are you doing that? And the young man comes up with something else instead, and it's equally as stupid or maybe worse. Uh, I think it was also G.K. Chesterton, you know, along these lines, I talked about, and, and this is something I've really tried to keep in mind for myself, um, about the, the group of men who were going down a road, and there was this old gate going across the road. And they looked at this gate going, what is this doing? It's not here for, this is, this is stupid. And they said, tear it on the gate. So they tore it on the gate. But you contrast that person with another one who comes down the road, and he says, um, here's this old gate here. Let's find out why it was put there before we tear it down. There's wisdom, right? Now, there, that gate may serve no purpose anymore. And, it, and, you know, maybe that gate symbolizes tradition. And that, that gate may be something where you go, this makes no sense. It serves no purpose. Um, so let's tear it down. But maybe there's wisdom in stepping back and saying, before we tear that down, let's make sure it's not there for a reason. And that's the problem. It's the, to, maybe to Elihu a, a bit, he's looking at these, these men who are very old in his eyes. And he says, listen, you guys, you, you lack wisdom, you're you're, you're you're not addressing this properly. But he's even talking to Job, right? Job, man, you're just, you guys are messed up. Let me tell you how this is. Because I'm young and you're old and you don't get it. Man, I tell you what, I'm in that middle age, right? Um, 40, 46. How old is middle age? Scott, how old are you? 52. You're not middle-aged. But in Florida, you're pretty close to middle Um So, it's close, it's, close. it's close, yeah. So I'm <laughs> close for Michigan. You're close for uh, Florida. So, um, you might... I, I got I got my kids coming up behind me who think they know more than us about everything, right? How many of you have had kids and your kids were that way, or are that way? You go ahead and raise your hand. Pa- you, my parents, go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, okay. So, my, my brother was like that. So, uh <laughs> But I've also, sometimes I find myself not letting those older than me speak and feeling like, okay, I'm old enough, now I can speak. And, and I need to step back and say, man, there, there's a reason for that. I, I told Andrew and Bradley when, uh, last time, they were both here, which was last summer, or well, summer before, I don't know. And uh, I sat down with them one day, and I had read that quote, and we were just sit down, we'd sit down every once a week and, and just have a sit down, you know. And I told them, I said, guys, I want you to think about this quote and I want you to keep this in mind because I think this is really important for us. Because I tend to be the type of person, I like change. You know, hey, more change the better, okay? And you're going, you're the wrong person to be a Baptist pastor. I realize that. Um, I like change. I like things different. My wife does not like change. And she doesn't like things. She, she likes the status quo. But both of those can be bad. But they can both be good. As long as I, if I like change, I want to go, hey, I want to change this. Why? What was, why was it that way in the first place? And we have to step back and take a look. And so I think that's maybe one of the places where Elihu um, maybe lacked a little bit of wisdom. And we'll see that as we go. Now, um, I think he's a humble man to a certain extent. I think he was meek. That doesn't mean he was weak. doesn't mean he has to be quiet. It doesn't mean that he can't speak out. Jesus was meek, but Jesus was bold, Right? What is meekness? The, the definition I think best describes it is strength under control. And, uh, and I think we see that a little bit here with him. Boy, we're in verse 9, and I'm planning to cover three chapters tonight. <laughs> let's see. All right, we're not going to get there. But let's, let's go to verse 10. Therefore I said, hearken to me, and I will show my opinion. And I also will show my opinion. Behold, I waited for your words, gave ear to your reasons, whilst ye searched out what to say. Now, okay, he says, listen to me. And then he says once again, I listen to you. Okay, maybe we're starting to see a little bit of the long-windedness of Eliu. Okay? Um, Now, he did defer to them. He listened to them with respect. Verse 12, Yea, I attended unto you, and behold, there was none of you that convinced Job or that answered his words. So now he's directing it towards the three friends. Lest he should say, we have found out wisdom, God thrusteth him down, not man. Now, he basically says, I listened. He failed to convince Job or to address his claims. This was the basis of the wisdom of the the three friends. God put Job through this turmoil. Isn't that what they felt like? God put him through it because of his choices, because of his sin. And it seems to me that that's kind of where they were taking it. So, okay, so we're going to go, okay, we like Elihu right now, right? He really seems to be on board. Let's read verse 14. Now... He hath not directed his words against me, neither will I answer him with your speeches. So Elihu uh, separates himself from the attitude and the tactics of the three friends. He has stayed out of both sides until now, right? He stepped back. He's like, okay, I'm a, I'm a neutral party. I'm coming in here. And he says, I'm going to continue to be that person. Uh, he hath not directed me with his, his words against me, neither will I answer him your speeches. He's like, I'm staying neutral in this whole thing. Verse 15. They were amazed... They answered no more. They left off speaking. When I had waited, for they spake not, but stood still and answered no more. So that stopped the mouths of his three friends, right? The three friends stopped speaking. Here's what he says, all right? Now, we're going to move a little faster because we're going to take chunks at a time because he can be long-winded. You don't know anybody like that, do you? Okay, anyway, verse 17. I said, I will answer also my part. I also will show mine opinion. For I am full of matter, the, the spirit within me constraineth me. Behold, my belly is as wine, which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed. I will open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person, neither let me give flattering titles unto man. For I know not to give flattering titles, and so doing, my maker would soon take me away. So he's full of matter, he says. Here's what this means. Matter means words or speech or argument. He's saying, I'm full of words. He's he's ready to go. His speech, he's he's been listening for a long time. He's been stored it up. He's been jotting notes down as he goes. Uh, So he's full of words to say about all these things that have happened. Now, um, he may have possessed some wisdom in his age, and I think we're going to find it. I think there are some things he calls out That we can sit back, if we're honest, we can sit back and go, yeah, he's right about that. In fact, God, God even rebukes Job later for some of the way he's responded. God rebukes Job just like Elihu rebuked Job. And Job repented of some of his words. And and I think we're going to find some wisdom here. But what also we can see as we just read these verses, 17 through 22, is that he, um, he lacked the wisdom to keep his words concise. Right? Uh, What is the, I can't remember the verse, um, that they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Uh, uh, Religious people, sometimes they think, man, the more words I use, the better it's going to be. And the longer I preach, the the more people are going to go, man, that was a great sermon. No, I have learned just the opposite, except for Ronnie. Uh, The longer I preach, Ronnie thinks is is better. But for the most part, get the point across and move on sometimes we feel like we have to preach. If I don't preach 30 minutes, people are going to regret coming. How many of you, if I preach 25 minutes next Sunday, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I hadn't come. It wasn't worth my time. None of you, right? Um, sometimes we think, we, we, we forget that we need to keep our words concise. And so just from 17 through 22 there, we can really see that he was a wordy person. Um, and he says, So he also says here, uh, let me not, I pray you, accept any man's person. What does that mean? And it kind of goes along with, I know, I know not to give flattering titles. He doesn't want to be a respecter of persons. He wants to speak with clear, clarity, without preconceived judgment. He wants to be able to accurately speak to these men. Now, verse 1 of chapter 33. Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken to all my words. Okay? So here, remember, this is young man coming and speaking to older man. He says, Behold, now I have opened my mouth. My tongue has spoken in my mouth. My words shall be the uprightness of my heart. My lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Now, if you're older and you're listening to this young man and he's already given us chapter, 20, uh, chapter 32 and now he's beginning with all these, what he's going to do, it's like just stop it and get to it already, okay? Right? Is that are you seeing the wordiness here? Um, My word shall be the uprightness of my heart. My lips shall utter knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Okay, there's some some good there, right? He realizes he's he's a man too. He's been made by God. If thou canst answer me, verse 5, set thy words in order before me, stand up. Behold, I am according to thy wish in God's stead. I am also formed out of clay. Now, um, what did, go back to Job 32.2. Then was kindled the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzite, the king of, the kindred of Ram. Against Job was his wrath kindled because he justified himself rather than God. Now, when I'm reading verses 1 through 6, I start seeing Elihu justifying himself or exalting himself or speaking of himself instead of speaking of God. If I get up here on Sunday or on Wednesday and and I speak to you and I say, let me tell you all the reasons you should listen to me, then I'm missing the point. But if I get up here and say, here's what the word of the Lord says. The word of the Lord says this, and this is why we need to listen to it. It doesn't really matter what Stephen thinks. It doesn't really matter who Stephen is. Now, Stephen needs to be the right kind of person. He needs to be the right kind of person to hold the office of bishop. He needs to be a... Uh, a person above reproach, but we all should be people above reproach, right? So, um, but yes, to get up in the pulpit and preach, it needs to be a qualified person. Um, but m- m- the words I say should not be uh, powerful, and they can't be powerful because of me. They can only be powerful because they're God's words. Now, um, so instead of all the pompelli who could have said, "I'm simply going to speak as honestly I can," but remember, I too am formed out of clay. Right? That would have been the quick, concise, humble way to say it. Verse 7. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words saying... Elihu claims that he... uh, He claims here that he had heard Job wish for a mediator to make sense of the disconnect between himself and God. Do you remember when Job... I can't remember. I should have looked that up. Do you remember when Job said, oh, that I had a mediator, that I had someone between me and God... Uh, now, I can't remember what chapter it is, but in one of Job's responses, that's what he said. Well, who was there for that, apparently, and now he claims to be the one to stand in that gap. I don't know if he really was sent by God to stand in that gap. I can't say. He says he is, but that doesn't mean that, that we know that. In verse 9. I am clean without transgression. I am innocent. Neither is there iniquity in me. Behold... He findeth occasions against me, and he counteth me for his enemy. He putteth my feet in the stocks. He marketh all my paths. Now, uh, he is here. You might go, man, he's really full of himself. No, remember, if you go back to verse number 8, he says, Surely thou hast spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying. So verses 9 through 11, um, he's recounting the words of Job there. Okay. So Job, he, he's saying, Job, I heard you say these things. Now, verse 12. Behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. And so here we we see this boldness. We see maybe some wisdom here of this young man. He says God is greater than all of us. And you don't have the right to know God's reasons. He doesn't answer to you. Um... So when, when we, we read that, there's a similarity there to the three friends, right? Where they're, they're accusing Job and saying, God is just and he wouldn't do this to you unless you had done something wrong. So uh, th- there's this, um, there is this theory in Christianity, and I, and I, don't, I can't think of what to call it. Um, different people call it different things. But basically, that if you do right... Things will be good if you do wrong. Things will be bad, and we see that in those friends, right? The the three friends. They they were like, Job, things are going bad for you. That means you've done wrong. If you will do right, things will go good for you. The problem is that's simply not biblical. In fact, that's maybe the greatest point we can get out of Job, is that um, circum or that that uh, results are not a direct reflection of. Of behavior. That doesn't always happen. Um, we might say, well, what you sow, you reap. Well, that's a general statement, but is that always true? It's not always true. Because Job here is reaping something that he didn't sow. So, um, we we can say, his theology, the theology of the three other, brother, the other, three other friends was... Many times it was good, but it was misapplied. So the question here is, is, is this theology good? God is greater than all of us. You don't have the right to know God's reasons. Is that good theology? It is good theology. We don't have the right to to, to claim that we must know God's reasons behind things. That doesn't mean we don't ever know them. It doesn't mean we can't ask. But we don't have that right. So it's good theology. So the question here is, is Elihu is, is misapplying good theology to Job again? Is he like the other three, or is he giving good advice? Well, I think we have to continue, and we may have to continue in the next couple weeks before we really know the answer to that. Okay? I can give you my opinion, uh, and I think he's right sometimes, and he's not right sometimes. Okay, so how's that for a solid answer? It, is it okay for us to ask why? I've said over and over through this, I think it is okay for us to ask why. But to claim that God is not fair or or somehow that He must tell you that He owes it to you, that, I believe, is sin. God is the potter. We're the clay. The potter has the right to do with the clay whatever the potter wants to do with the clay. Now, here's what's great. God isn't just a potter that takes the the clay. Uh, There's an old song, He doesn't throw the clay away. Remember who sang it, but I remember the song. He, God doesn't throw the clay away, and and so He takes clay and He makes it, and sometimes it gets marred a little bit, and sometimes He takes that clay and He starts over, and and He's and He has to remake that clay. Uh, the Book of Job is, is really good uh, for that. Um, we'll get to that later, but uh, God God is the potter, we're the clay. So God can do whatever He wants, but here's what's great: is God the potter made a promise to the clay that? That I do all things, uh, work all things for good to them that love me, to those that are called according to His purpose. So we, as the clay, we're not we're not worried about getting chucked and thrown into the fire, uh, or into the garbage. We know that God is doing something with us, and we think, oh man, look, He's making us, He's molding us, and this we're turning into something really special. And then something happens, and He goes, no, it's not what I want it to be.
1: No, no, I like
0: this. No, He says, no, nope, it's not what I want it to be, and He starts over you go, I don't want to start over. But he's going to make something that pleases him, something that is exactly what he wants. Then you're going to go through the fire. That's what clay does, right? It goes through the fire. But as Job says, we are tried by fire, but when we come forth, when I come forth, I'll come forth as gold. Uh, verse 14. For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet a man perceiveth it not. In a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men and slumberings upon the bed. So uh, here's, here's what I think. Do you have an idea what Ellie was saying here? Because I'll tell you what I think. You're probably like, I don't want to speak out. I'll just do what Jeff does and go, what do you think, Pastor? He does that to me in Sunday school sometimes. And uh, sorry, I'll just tell you. Uh, Jeff got had a work thing. He had he got an emergency call or something. Tonight, so he's not here. But I was sitting here Sunday. This is terrible, I'm telling you this. And uh, I, I was I was FaceTiming Rhonda. She wanted to be in Sunday school. So I was holding my phone like this the whole time. And uh, I, I also was sitting there, and there was a discussion going on, and I flipped over to my sermon notes, and I just started reading through my sermon notes a little bit. And Jeff goes, what do you think, Pastor? And I go, I'm going to have to study that one. Because <laughs> I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. Don't tell Jeff that, Shannon. Don't tell Jeff, I wasn't paying attention. But I, I would have had to study it. I don't know the answer to it. Anyway, I don't know what I was going. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what does he he mean here in verse 14? For God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man perceiveth it not. In a dream and a vision of night, when deep sleep falleth upon men, and slumber he's upon the men. Okay, here's what I think. I think what he's saying here is that God, Job is is saying, um, remember 12 and 13. I will answer that God is greater than man. Why dost thou strive against him? For he giveth not account of any of his matters. God doesn't owe you to tell you why you're going through what you're going through. But, he says, God speaketh once, yea, twice, yet man proceedeth not. Here's what I I think he's saying. Job, it's very possible that God has already told you, but you didn't listen. Now, that may be true. Um, I don't think it's true. We don't have record of that. But it may be true sometimes that he says God speaks. Sometimes he gives it in a dream or in a vision. Now, if if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you had a dream... Um, and you're like, oh man, God showed me this. If it's not from the word of God, it was just bad Chinese or whatever you had. Okay. Um, if it's not from the word of God, God did not speak it to you. Um, now, but he didn't have the full. They didn't have the word of God. So God did speak differently at that point. So he's, he's saying, listen, he may have spoken in a vision while lying in bed. Have you ever just laid in bed at night and your mind you just your mind can finally settle and you can just begin to think about things through the day and you go, oh, you know, I read that passage this morning and it didn't click until just now as, as I settled in bed. It's dark. Everything, all the distractions are gone. And all of a sudden, I can see what God was telling me in that verse. I think that's what Ellie was saying. I think there's wisdom in that. Um, Verse 16. Then he openeth the ears of men and sealeth their instruction, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from men. He keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So it may be that God has spoken. He didn't give Job all the answers that he wanted. I, I guarantee you that there are people in this room going, I wish God would tell me why. And he hasn't given you all the answers you want. But God has given you enough. To keep you from pride and from the pit. Verse uh, he withdrew man from his purpose to hide and hide pride from man, he keepeth back his soul from the pit and his life from the perishing by the sword. I should have said from pride to pit and perishing. Because that would have been three P's in a poem, and then that's a full sermon. But um, I, I think that's what he's I think that's what he's saying. Uh, that God has not given you everything you want, but he's given you everything you need. Why do I have to go through this? It's okay to ask that. And God may give you the answers. He may give you some of the answers. But know this. The answers he gives you are are enough. He's not going to hold back from you what you need to go through the life, the trials, the circumstances that you're going through. God is not wanting to see you fail. God doesn't test you so he can go, I wonder how far they can go. He knows it all. He allows you to go through it because you need to see how far you can go. You need to see where your weaknesses are. You need to see where the areas of your faith that, that need to be built up. You need to see that. Maybe somebody else needs to see how strong you are. Maybe somebody else needs to be encouraged by where you're at. Um, but God isn't going, huh, I wonder how good they're, they're doing. He knows. And he's going to give you everything you need. The Bible tells us, um, again, I don't remember the passage, but God has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. Um, through the power of Him who's called us. And so He has given you what you need. And so ask why. That's okay. But here, here's a question that I wrote down. Let me see where I wrote it down. Is it okay to be angry with God? It's never okay to be angry with God. Because God has promised that what He does for you is out of love, He promised that whatever He's doing for you is for your good. And so to be angry with God is to say He's messed up somewhere. It's okay to ask why. It's just not okay to be angry with God. I think Job has been angry with God, and I think we're going to see that. I think that's why he has to repent, not of the sin that the friends thought that he had committed, Um, but in fact I heard somebody say this: Um, it's it's a sin to be angry with God. But don't double up on your sin by, by being a hypocrite and hiding your anger from God. If you're angry with God, tell him, God, I'm angry with you. And I know it's wrong, and I want to confess it, and I want you to help me get past it. Um, but it doesn't help to tell God, I'm not angry with you when you know you are. Go to him, confess it, repent, and ask him to help you through it. Okay? Um, okay? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and it would be like Peggy said. Would it be unusual if Job was perfect through the whole thing? Um, would you be able to relate with somebody who could go through all that and be perfect? I couldn't relate with really. him. Um, I think we do see that Job. He had some. He had some struggles through it, and sometimes he didn't respond right. Um, but, I mean, overall, we're going to find that Job is a great man. We know that. Yeah. But even great men have faults, so. All right, it's 8.02. Where did I leave off? I need to mark this. Um, verse 18. Okay. I need to mark this. Bear with me. Okay. All right, next time, uh, next week, we'll pick up with verse 19, and then we'll see how far we can get. Uh, we're getting close. 42 chapters in the book of Job, and we just we just hit chapter 33. And uh, chapters 32 through 37 are Elihu, and then we have God's response, and then we have kind of the closing out and of, of the book. So We've kind of been flying through a couple chapters at a time. When we get to the end of the book, we'll, we'll probably slow down again like we did at the, begin, at the beginning of the book. So, All right, let's, let's pray. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your faithfulness. I hope you're getting something out of the study of Job. I am learning so much. I'm just telling you, I thought I knew the book of Job. Not... In depth, but I, I had studied through it. I have read through it, but man, studying through it this time, I am really learning so much more about Job, and hopefully will help me as I face whatever God has me allows me to face in the future. So, thank you for joining us today on the First Baptist Church of Hazel Park audio podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about First Baptist Church, visit us online at FBC Hazel Park dot com.